Welcome to the DTB podcast for September 2015, volume 53, number nine. My name's David Fazakli. I'm DTB's deputy editor. And I'm James Cave. I'm DTB editor-in-chief. Our editorial this month discusses a pilot project from NHS England to part fund clinical pharmacists working in general practice. I just thought it'd be useful to explore a bit of the background to this and where it's come from. Yeah, so this is, I think, a welcome idea. We have general practice clearly struggling to find GPs to fill posts and pharmacists who've always wanted to have a more clinical role, perhaps having that capacity to be able to work in general practice and actually start taking on some real clinical work. So that's the background to it. And the sort of role that's envisaged for these pharmacists is to do what? Well, I think it's it's to have a much broader role than historically. So it wouldn't just be medicines reviews. It would also be perhaps seeing short term conditions, perhaps even managing long term conditions. You know, there's an expectation that some of these pharmacists will have independent prescribing skills and be able to really have a full role in general practice. But haven't we had initiatives involving pharmacists in general practice before? So this is where it all rather sort of falls apart slightly. You know, we have been through this before. And I think whilst there is good support for this, it's going to be really telling to see how much take up we get. Because the big fly in the ointment is there's an expectation from NHS England that primary care themselves, general practices themselves, are going to part fund this pilot. And at a time when we've just heard that primary care funding has shrunk yet again, I think they're going to struggle to find practices willing to take part in this. So, But we've got practices already who fund their own pharmacists. Yes, we do. But I think nothing on the scale that we're seeing or what, what is envisaged with this plan. I think this there really is an idea behind this that we should see a, a quite a big expansion with the idea that you might have groups of five or six pharmacists working within CCGs working a day a week in individual practices. And I think that's quite a big expansion on, on the current, you know, few practices who use pharmacists in, in a limited way. And what seems quite positive about this initiative is that it actually tries to create a structure and a, almost a career path for this speciality, that you've got a group of pharmacists working under supervision of a, a more senior experienced clinical pharmacist. And I think this is where I think pharmacy has always struggled to develop its role because there hasn't been that structure so if anything else that may be the most positive thing that uh, comes out of this but as ever money might well determine what happens in the future indeed okay thank you very much and our first main article this month looks at the use of tyotropium for asthma and we were obviously familiar with the long-acting muscarinic antagonist being used for copd been around since the early 2000s but now it's got a marketing authorization for use in asthma. And which formulation is it? Just remind us. Yes, the, the thing to recognize with this, this is the Respimat is the formulation that's been licensed for asthma. So that's the aerosol based system, not the capsule that you use individually. And the position that the license puts it. Yes, it sort of puts it at, at step four. If you're, I think, and most GPs are aware of the BTS, British Thoracic Society guidelines on asthma. Step four, where you either step up inhaled corticosteroid use or add in a fourth drug. That's where teotropium sits as an adjunct at that point. So it's quite specific for people who need to do something else and have had an exacerbation in the previous year. And what would you normally do at this stage? 
It's a good point. And of course, it comes at the time when we had the confidential inquiry into asthma deaths last year, published in May 2014. And they suggested that we should be looking very seriously at step four, whether we should be referring these patients in to see a specialist. So that that is a new approach for patients at step four. The issue with teotropium is that the studies they've done have looked at things like lung function and exacerbations, and they've demonstrated that there is some statistical improvement in lung function and some slight benefit in reduction in exacerbations. But quality of life and other factors like use of oral steroid use, those sorts of things have yet to be demonstrated. So at this point, it's there. I think it's probably going to be really useful for patients who you concerned might have asthma, COPD, overlap syndrome, where it may have a benefit. But at the moment, you know, it is very much step four. And then probably for me, after I've already tried increasing the inhaled corticosteroids. I suppose the difficulty at any drug at this stage is that the evidence is pretty patchy anyway for anything we do at step four. Exactly. And that's right. You know, we, we have got a 52 week safety study and there's always been this slight concern with the muscarinic antagonists. You know, they are anticholinergic in their action and there have been some concerns about short acting muscarinic antagonists and heart disease and, and heart events. So there's always just that issue. Let's just, you know, see how things play out and just be careful about introducing a new drug. And just from a practical point of view, another inhaler for the patient to juggle? It's another inhaler. It's another type of inhaler. It's different from all the other sorts. So indeed, it's another juggle. So not straightforward at the moment. So one to watch and I think wait. so. And I, and I think, you know, it will have definitely have a place. But I, I think we need to just be aware of the issues. Thank you. And our second article this month looks at a new drug for the management of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, a premolast. What do we know about a premolast? What is it? Well, this is interesting because it's another PDE4 inhibitor. Now, those of us who are bright and clever will think, hang on, I know this. And PDE5 inhibitors are the sildenafils of this world for erectile dysfunction. This is a PDE4, and we already have one marketing called Reflumilast, which is marketed for COPD. And here we have another one being licensed for the management of psoriasis and psoriatic arthropathy. And the technical bit, that inhibition of PDE4 seems to do something around the pro-inflammatory cytokines. So all well and good in terms of a theory. In terms of outcomes, what do well, we know? Well, this is disappointing. We have a couple of studies, and I think only one of those has been published. And one of the difficulties with psoriasis is that it's difficult sometimes in, in studies looking at conditions like this to measure a an improvement. So we have these couple of clever counting systems for measurement, one called PASI, P-A-S-I, and the other based on physician score. And so looking at this, you can show some statistical improvement in these scores, but at, from a clinical point of view, very little improvement. And of course, we have, I think, only one study that's compared it with another drug and no comparison data with the classic DMARDs that we use currently for psoriasis. So for both indications, there is some data saying it does something, but the clinical significance and absolute benefit, we're still uh, uh, unsure. And, and that's benefit versus placebo. So nothing directly, obviously, with an active comparison. What about harms? So as far as harms are concerned, actually, there's a less than 10% discontinuation rate in patients in the trials on this. Diarrhea seems to be the feature that occurs perhaps in about one in seven people who do get a side effect. And weight loss is the other one. And just like reflumilast for COPD, 
they are, are concerns about whether this drug might have an impact on mental health and suicide risk and you are advised to assess for that before starting it. Okay, so not straightforward. And again, a bit like titrate and watch this space really to see where it's eventually going to settle down in terms of fitting into treatment. Indeed, and that's certainly what NICE says at the moment, really. They advise it should not be recommended at this stage. Okay, thank you very much. And to read these or any of our articles, please visit our website, dtb.bmj.com. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future DTB content, please do email us at dtbeditor at bmj.com.